Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 409, and we're recording live on April the 3rd. Yes, it is April now. Uh, hopefully, all the fools' jokes are done, and uh, we're just uh, on to uh, you know regular life. You know, the funniest thing here is in Toronto, in, which is in Ontario. Uh, the uh, April first was the um, the official uh, opening of retail cannabis in in in, in the province. And so, if, <laughs> if you had if you had been issued a license by the government back in the fall. April 1st is when you're allowed to open. And so some companies up here, not only did, did the retailers open uh, their dispensaries and whatnot, but uh, some like we had some restaurant brands. Like I saw this, there's a chain up here called Jack Astor's. And they, as an April Fool's joke, they put out uh, cannabis-sauced uh, chicken wings and, like, all <laughs> kinds of crazy, like, things were going on. So, like, people were getting into it. Um, <laughs> it so, anyhow. That's funny. I know. I saw some really great April Fool's jokes. I think my favorite, um, like, brand doing an April Fool's joke this year was I got an email from Native, which is like a natural soap and deodorant company um, that I really like. And they sent out, and it was like, try our new, our newest scent, um, and the scent of the deodorant because they usually have like fresh things like cucumber and mint or lavender mm-hmm. or like you know coconut and vanilla things like that. And this new scent was called Poison Ivy. (laughs) And the quote from the the customer was, the customer's name was Forrest, and the quote was, I want to put it all over my body or something like that. (laughs) I just wanted it all over me or something. So it was really, I don't know, I thought it was funny. I was like, that's pretty pretty funny. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, Yeah, but also our au pair arrived on April 1st, which I was like, please don't be an April Fool's Day joke. (laughs) I don't know that I can handle that right now, but... Um, I think we kind of avoided most of the uh, April Fool's Day stuff over yeah, here. Yeah. So that's good. Go. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a good show for you. Uh, we have three yeah. industry news stories, three member news stories, and we have another guest this week, uh, Ian Dallimore from Lamar. So uh, I think let's just jump right into it and kind of there's lots of interesting things to talk about today. So. Yeah. When I read this story, I actually thought it was an April Fool's Day joke, but it is not. Um, This is refrigerating. Yes, you heard (laughs) me right. Refrigerating. So Samsung has this family hub um, uh, refrigerator, and it's really nice. It has like a full panel screen that's on the side of it. Um, And it has lots of nice features um, for a refrigerator. It's about $3,000 that it retails for. But this also has an app that goes along with it now. If you are still on the dating scene, you can do some refrigerator dating. And what this is, is this allows you to base your choices on dates um, based upon like the food and the style of the refrigerators inside. Uh, So instead of seeing superficial things like what somebody looks like or um, things like that, you actually see the inside of their fridge. Um, so you can probably, I guess, like gauge how healthy they are, what they eat. Um, so if you subscribe and not everybody does, there was like a lot of detail in terms of like the science behind you are what you eat 
theories and others who don't subscribe to those. But um, if you do subscribe to that, then this might be the dating app for you. Instead of just swiping right and swiping left, now you have like food choices. So um, you, what I think is cool about the fridge itself is that you can actually like view the contents of the fridge while you're um, in, in an app while you're like on the go. So you can actually say like, oh, do I have, you know, eggs in the fridge or, you know, am I out? I don't know. I, I really love that feature. The dating, not so much. Um, you know, the whole story and like the premise of this is because a guy started saying like, you know, the first time I went back to my then girlfriend's house or apartment, you know, one of the first things I did is I opened her fridge and I noticed like she had you know, olives and, you know, fresh fruit and vegetables and wine and champagne and a very nice fridge. And so like, I, I guess he liked that about her and it like made him feel a certain type of way. Um, so I don't know. I think it's really funny. So one thing that they did say, a Samsung does say is like, don't go like styling your fridge because cheating in relationships don't go well together. Like, let it just be I don't know. You know what has really made me think about? Like, what does my fridge look like? And I'm pretty sure it's like a disaster. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, I need to go home and clean my fridge right now. <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. But I mean, I think this is funny. I think it's like kitschy, but I don't know that it's sustainable in terms of like being a real app because let's face it, people, yeah, I care what, you know, my significant other eats and how healthy he is. But, um, yeah, maybe we're all a little bit superficial. We want to know what people look like as well. I mean, what are you going to do? Like show up to the restaurant and say like, hey, are you the girl with like, you know, yeah. the leftover Chinese food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? It, it, it's okay. So I don't, I don't like honestly, like it, it's not something I would ever have used. I don't think, uh, you know, in those days <laughs> it, it, it's uh I, I think it's interesting. You know, when I when I read the story, it reminded me of, of that project that we did way back when um, with uh, Mondelez's uh, Oscar Meyer division where they created the app called Sizzle. And, with the you know, bacon, yeah, It was all about finding people who like bacon and, and hooking up, yeah. you, know, on, you know, on dates, you know, for, for bacon lovers. Um, and so it's kind of similar to that in some ways, right? About like, you know, do these people like the same things I like, you know, I guess it could be a little bit, it could be the opposite too, right? Like this person's, you know, tidy and, you know, uh, and clean and, and, and eats, you know, good things. And I don't, and maybe I need some of that in my life. I don't know. Um, so, so, so maybe there's a bit of that to it. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. And I, and, and I think that, uh, I'm with you. I don't think this is scalable. I think it's a it's a good branding exercise. It's a great way to drive some attention to to their refrigerators and the capabilities and feature set that's there, um, which we see more and more. These kind of connected appliances and and you know uh, we've talked about voice technology and how uh, you know you can you know the fridge can keep track of what's in there and you can kind of place orders you know and have it delivered and all that sort of stuff. You know, I think what's interesting would be to see, you know, they talked a lot in this about research and kind of studying kind of the behaviors of people and all that kind of stuff. One thing that we hear a lot about, and actually my daughter brought it up to me uh, as well, uh, who's in high school, and she said, like, the number of people in, in high school right now that don't bring a lunch, you know, don't eat in the cafeteria, you know, or, or don't even buy lunch at school, but the number of, of uh, Uber Eats and delivery services showing up at school, at high school, 
um, and the amount of money that people are spending on that uh, is astounding. And, and like that's just you know talking about her school, but I'm sure that's a massive trend, right? Of mm-hmm. you know high school kids just ordering stuff and having it delivered. And and I think you know if you look at this, I think part of it is is, is trying to understand, you know. When I, when I look in someone's fridge, how much of that is takeout and delivery, you know, stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Because that, to me, says more about the, the person than the actual food that's in there, right? Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, just, you know, how they spend money and, and those kinds of things, I think is interesting too, right? So, there you go. All right. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, so our next story um, is an interesting one. It's about a company I hadn't heard of called Private Acre. Um, so we're all familiar with Airbnb and you know all these types of platforms that are out there to kind of leverage uh, underutilized property, uh, you know, or cars or, or all that type of stuff. So what Private Acre is is a similar thing to Airbnb, um, but this is all about uh, you know, people who have large pieces, parcels of land. And it, and uh, and so you can basically rent out your farm or rent out your acreage for hunting uh, or fishing, uh, you know, or things like that uh, on a platform, you know, similar in, in, in structure to something like Airbnb. So they've got places on here that, you know, are, you know, you know, hundred acre properties that with, with late, you know, small lakes on them or rivers on them for fishing or, you know, uh, hunting environments or kayaking. So it's all about, you know, kind of not just a place to stay, but a place to enjoy the outdoors. Um, and to do that in a, in a way where, you know, uh, in a lot of cases today, especially out where I live here, you know, we're close to, uh, lots of farms, uh, in the area and, and, you know, while most of them are still farmed as, you know, for food production, um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of land out there that's, you know, that's just not being, you know, utilized or monetized. And I think, uh, you know, you can leverage location technologies like this, peer-to-peer type of platforms like this uh, to find ways to do that. And so they, they've teamed up with uh, Brain, Braintree for the, for the payment aspects of this. Uh, land owners can confirm bookings on the platform. Uh, credit cards, you know, can be, can be used uh, for, you know, for facilitating the transaction through the Braintree platform. Um, and uh, you, they also have PayPal as an option in there. So um, it's, re- it's, it's kind of cool. Um, so check it out. If you're, if you're an outdoorsy type of person and you're looking for something different uh, to do than going and staying at an Airbnb, check out Private Acre. What do you think? Yeah, I, re- I really like this. You know, when I, when I heard this story, I was thinking about my, my parents. So several years ago, they bought this, I, I call it kind of like a farmhouse. Um, and they have about 12 acres and like the front is all pasture and they have, um, a barn and then the back is all like, um, woods and it goes down to a Creek. It's really nice. So they're renovating it right now to be, um, like a BNB type of a place, like a bed and breakfast where people can come and stay. And then they're going to renovate the barn to have an event space. So I love the idea of something like this for people like that, that might have, you know, like a smaller place for accommodation. So for times that maybe they don't necessarily want to have to host or manage or do things like that, they could rent out the barn or just mm-hmm. rent out the property and have people host their own events and be responsible for that. So I think this is a great thing for, um, you know, certainly people who have like that 
that overhead. I mean, taking care of a lot of property takes a lot of money um, and time and effort. And so I think this is a great uh, a great way for them to be able to offset that cost, um, you know, like many people do for Airbnb, like with their mortgage or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I think this is really cool. Yeah. But yeah. So I like this next story a lot. This is, we're kind of getting a little, we're going from outdoors to indoors and much more futuristic. So this is um, a new futuristic hotel that Alibaba is creating and it's called Fly Zoo's, um, well, it's Fly Zoo is the futuristic hotel and it's located in Hangzhou, China. I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, but they have 290 rooms and there's lots of like really cool features um, and technology that they've kind of uh, wrapped into this hotel experience. So it's built um, by Alibaba's online travel platform called Fliggy and then they have also incorporated some of Alibaba's other brands and companies like um, AI Labs and Alibaba Cloud. So they have, FlyZoo has a mobile app and you can check in and book the hotel there. Um, but what's really cool is that you can choose like what floor you want to stay on, the direction the room faces, um, you know, all the details of the room you can kind of choose um, to an extent. And uh, what I love about this as well is if you are a China resident, then you can just check in with the app and then go ahead and like go directly to your room. You don't have to have any human interaction. You can just go ahead and do that straight away. Um, if you are a foreign passport holder, you just have to do like a few different uh, extra steps through the kiosk there. Um, the other thing that I really like is they're using facial recognition to um, enter and exit the elevator, your room, all of that. So they just take a picture of you at check-in. And then um, I think it's really cool. They, they use your photo to like access the elevator, get in your room. I am notorious for either deactivating my key card or um, having like my lost my key and have to go back down um, or, you know, left my key in my room. So I have to go back down after you already get all the way up to your room. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like this always happens when I'm like in Vegas where the room is so far away from the front desk and then you have to wait in a long line. It's awful. So I love the idea of this like being so much more seamless and you are your own key. Um, the other thing that they're incorporating is something called Tmall Genie. So it's like a smart assistant and you can ask it to do some basic things yeah. like, um, you know, you need an extra pillow, uh, you know, ad adjust the temperature. Like we've heard about all of these different features, I think, but I love that they're combining all of these things in one and just making it a really um, not only futuristic experience, but more seamless experience. I'm all for technology, especially um, when it is making the user experience so much better and easier. So I think that all of these things are thoughtful and they're useful. So I like it. Yeah, I think it's great. And for, you're, you're bang on for me. It's about the integration of all these things. We've heard about each of these pieces in, in different use cases. You know, we've talked about hotel chains like Marriott and, and Virgin, you know, playing around with using voice assistants to control temperature and, you know, even turn on the shower to the right temperature or all those types of things. Um, you know, but having that combined with the facial recognition pieces and all of that, it's funny you bring up Vegas because, um, you, you think of all the places that that would be the place to do it, right? Because they have, like, yeah. they track everybody on cameras. They know who's cheating at the tables. They, you know, like all that sort of <laughs> stuff, right? Because they're constantly monitoring, right, what's going on. And you'd think they'd be able to take that and, and kind of extend that into, you know, easier, more uh, seamless access to your hotel rooms uh, there. But uh, it's a cultural thing, right? Like in China, we've heard so many stories in the last, you know, year in particular about uh, automated services that are driven off of facial recognition, right? 
you know, remember we talked about Bingo Box a little while ago, which was, you know, this this version of uh, like a twenty four seven, you know, convenience store, kind of on the model of Amazon Go, but you know where there's no people at all. You let yourself in, uh, and it's all driven off of facial recognition. You go in, you shop, you walk out, you're charged, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, but that's in China, like where they're tracking faces of everybody, right? Like, and that's okay um, because it's 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 just how they're they're run in the country and and what citizens are you know come to expect and and so you can extend that into an environment like this um but i love it i love the combination of the technology i love that you can kind of select rooms based on different features and kind of see them and visualize them and you know uh, it's pointing in this direction or that you know like all of that i think is cool um so yeah cool story interesting innovative use case uh, so well done by alibaba so yeah flies you Okay, that's our three industry news stories for this week. Uh, now, I had a chance yesterday to sit down with Ian Dallimore. Uh Ian is the director of digital product for uh, Lamar, uh, one of the biggest, uh, well, I, they are the biggest outdoor company in North America. Um, and um, yeah, so they're, they do um, lots of roadside billboard, lots of digital signage, a uh, fair bit of transit uh, advertising as well. And uh, had a chance to chat with Ian about, uh, you know, location data and, and what they're doing with it and uh, where they see it going. So here he is, Ian Dallimore from Lamar. All right, I'm excited this week, folks, because we have a special guest, a guy who we've known for a long time, but we haven't seen for a long time here at the LBMA. His name is Ian Dallimore, and he is the director of digital growth at Lamar, one of the biggest out-of-home companies uh, on the planet. And uh, we're excited to have you, Ian. Welcome to the This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Thanks. It's good to see you, Esty. It's been a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I always, I always uh, chide you a little bit. Is you're always the best dressed guy in the room. So even even o- over uh, uh, the, you know the power of Skype, you're still looking good. So there you go. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah. So um, for for our audience out there, I think most people will know uh, Lamar, at least in the North American audience. But you know, tell us a little bit about you know who the company is, kind of what what you guys are all about, and and your role specifically. Sure. Um, so Lamar, we've been around since 1902. Uh, we're the largest auto home company in the in the U.S. Uh, roadside is kind of our our premier focus. Uh, we do have some airport and transit assets as well. Uh, but about 300, 380,000 static roadside billboard faces. Um, and then within that, we have 3,500 plus large format roadside digital uh, billboards. Um, so my role with the company is a heavy focus on the digital side of our business. And I often tell people it's not necessarily just the large format digital, but also uh, the mobile component, how we're tying mobile into out of home, uh, how we're now selling our digital inventory programmatically, um, but really just about how do we how do we talk to a consumer throughout their day, um, but more importantly, the omni-channel of of a buy. Um, you know, I think the statistic is seventy three percent of uh, consumers that make a purchase are part of an omni-channel um, experience um, in an ad campaign and less than 3% are actually part of a pure digital mobile campaign. So we really feel like we fit in that ecosystem of a, of a buy. Um, so that's really our focus. And then, you know, we've, we've gone from in the past from being a one to many 
uh, medium to now we've become a one to targeted. Mm. And that, that location data has really helped push our industry forward and allowing us to be um, on more plans and more um, a larger part of the budget and just better understanding where out of home fits in that space. So it's, um, I would say within the last five years, we've seen this drastic change in how out of home has, uh, has been perceived in the, in the space. And a lot of that has to do because of data. Yeah. And so, so that's kind of what I want to focus on a little bit is, is let's talk about targeting and data and are you yet uh, at, at the level of, I'm assuming you're not really yet at the level of personalization, but more, uh, you know, at that level of targeting based on location and context and, and other things, you know, to, you know, still, still many, but, a, but a smaller subset of many, right? Is that fair? Yeah. Um, you know, I think we'll always be that one to many. And I, I, I argue to say that I think one to many or one to targeted is way more important than just a one-to-one experience mm-hmm. um, in, a, in our space. You know, when you're out and about in, in the at-home world, I guess similar to, to online, we, it, there would often be called spillage. Um, but, you know, we're exposed to everyone. On your daily commute, we are literally hitting every possible demographic that you can imagine um, that exists in a city um, or in a market. Um, but where we do fit is that one-to-targeted and, you know, if you want to target a mom with two plus kids that has an affinity towards soccer and is a brand loyalist towards Adidas and has been to an MLS game twice within the last year, we can now target down to that level. Um, and, and why that's important is twofold is for us to better understand the best locations for that target audience. But where I argue is it's also just as equally as important that the creative matches that target niche audience um, and and really speak to that consumer at the right place, right time. Yeah, and so when you're talking about that kind of targeting, what what do you you got? What are you guys using, or what are the data sources that you're kind of pulling into, kind of feed and inform that that decisioning? Sure. Um, so our baseline uh, data set that we use is Geopath. Um, later this year, we'll actually be rolling out uh, what's called Operation More, which now enhances that measurement uh, platform beyond just positioning and a few other uh, a few other uh, steps that measure. Now we're using actual mobile data, location data, real time to where we can now segment down to a 15-minute increment to know who is exposed to that inventory at that moment. So it's a lot of uh, SDK data, a lot of bitstream data, and a few different layers of data. Um, So that's kind of our base. Um, And then on top of that, depending on the KPIs of the campaign, we have different uh, data partners that are out there. Um, Whether it's Place IQ, uh, whether it's um, Oracle data, um, whether it's Pulp data, depending on the campaign, we really reach out to our third-party data partners and say, hey, the KPIs for this campaign is targeting um, Ford truck owners mm-hmm. that are in the market for an SUV, um, it, which we, we really enjoy because each campaign is unique. In each campaign, we can use different data sets to uh, help best position the messaging for that brand. Excellent. And, and so is there, it, it, I mean, it's probably hard to pick one, but like, can you, can you give us an example of, of a campaign that, that you guys have done that have kind of leveraged data in that way that you're really proud of or excited about? 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, um, I'll kind of stick with the automotive theme. Uh, we did a campaign recently with, uh, Ford, the, uh, FDF group, and basically they had two target audiences that they were looking to go after, um, going after the, uh, mom who was looking to upgrade their vehicle to an SUV mm-hmm. and we're also targeting blue collar workers. So obviously that's the, that's a wide, uh, array of data that, that could be used. So we basically, we overlaid pulp data on top of the geopath data, but then we segmented out the, um, again, static and digital inventory. The static, we would identify with that pulp data who was in the market in the next 30, 60, 90 days to purchase an SUV. And then we would say, we would identify those specific locations that highest index towards that specific location. And we would tell Ford, this location, we're going to put SUV creative up. Um, same is true with the blue collar workers. We would layer in that pulp data, but then we would also layer in um, SDK data with uh, one of our data partners where we best identified locations that were exposed to consumers that had visited a Lowe's Home Depot within that same week. And on our digital boards, we were able to change out that creative based on the mom looking to upgrade to the SUV and that blue collar worker. Um, We layered in actual real-time mobile data as well as um, serving real-time mobile ads so if you were exposed to that mobile ad, uh, out-of-home uh, creative and then you went to a Lowe's or a Home Depot, you would then be served an ad for that uh, F-150, F-250. So really talking about not just out-of-home, but mobile and out-of-home yeah, together. Blending it. And then, then lastly, we had an attribution layer where we would say exposed to the out-of-home inventory was served a mobile ad. How many of those devices then ended up at a dealership? and or went online to search um, or actually looked, look at more information about that vehicle type. Awesome. I mean, that's, and that's kind of what, uh, you know, we're seeing across the board now is this idea of, of blending, you know, the out of home campaign, uh, you know, display to, to, to real time mobile advertising and looking at the movements of people and, and even to like, you know, where, where you choose to run an out of home, uh, you know, roadside, you know, or whatever, based on the path that people are traveling, you know, uh, and data that informs kind of, well, people who live here travel this path to get to work and, you know, are interested in this. And so we're looking at, the, you know, all, you know, ways to leverage data in that way. Right. So uh, I think that's that's fascinating and, and, and quite powerful uh, in terms of uh, its ability to be effective. So last thing is, is kind of, OK, so that's kind of where you're at now. Where do you guys see, you know, let's say six to 12 months from now, let's not too far into the future, but uh, you know, kind of what's next for you, for you guys in the industry in terms of data driven uh, engagement. Yeah. So I think um, we'll continue to refine the process um, as, as a lot of your members and listeners are aware as well. There's so many different data partners out there that are pulling from the same data sets. Um, We're looking, I'll say in the next six to 12 months, we'll see a more refined um, data set that's being used um, I think there'll be a lot more um, measurement opportunities, but there'll be some, um, I guess, best practices and standards that are set into place for specifically the out-of-home industry because it's very complex, right? Um, again, we're talking to everyone 
And we want to make sure that we have a, a large enough uh, sample size within the market to make it uh, relevant. Um, I would say the next six to 12 months, again, is more refining how we're using data to trigger creative. Um, today, our digital out-of-home medium allows for brands to tap into first-party data and third-party data, whether that's weather, uh, live real-time traffic, uh, real-time scores. Um, we'll see a more uh, increase of first-party data being used. Um, I challenge a lot of your, maybe your retail listeners as well, um, is tapping into their real-time inventory management platform, mm -hmm. for example, let's say at a, at a big box retailer, to say, hey, uh, last week we sold um, you know, 55 units of Lucky Charms, and this week we're down to 20, so we need to hit a certain level. So at allowing their out-of-home campaign to tap in and say, we're gonna play Lucky Charms Creative in the out-of-home space until we hit that 50 plus units right. sold and then move on. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing kind of this, this switch towards and, and a real big push in our industry is first party data is gold and how do we use that to trigger creative and also better determine. So I, I would say more uh, first party focused data uh, on the planning and buying side. Awesome. That that that's uh, that's music to my ears, uh, and I think a lot of the uh, the retail brand community that we work with, uh, you know, are trying to find. You, you know, they know they're sitting on top of data. They don't know how to monetize that data, uh, and they're and, and they're trying to figure out ways to do that. Uh, I've had many of those types of conversations in the last year, in particular. So uh, I, I think you're you're right on with that. So. Um, we'll, we'll cut it there uh, in the interest of time, but uh, again, for our, our audience, we've been chatting with Ian Dallimore. He's the Director of Digital uh, Growth at uh, Lamar, and uh, we're excited to have you, Ian. Yeah, thank you so much for the time, and I uh, appreciate it always seeing you. All right. Take care, and have a great week. Thanks, Ian. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and sharing with us, and uh Hope to see you or your team out at, uh, at a Retail Loco uh, in a few weeks. So, all right. Okay, on to our member news now. Uh, great story this week, I think, uh, for the restaurant industry at large. But we're here to talk about McDonald's. McDonald's, uh, you know, they've been pushing, uh, you know, kiosk type of technology and ordering and all that sort of stuff in their, in their stores for some time now. Uh, but they announced an acquisition, uh, a tech acquisition of a company called Dynamic Yield. And uh, this is the biggest acquisition for McDonald's in a long, long time. Uh, I think it's $300 million uh, that they spent uh, to buy this company. Uh, they've been piloting with this company for some time, but this is all about um, personalization and um, delivering of content uh, based on, on a number of real-time factors, location, weather, uh, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, and so where they see this kind of playing out uh, is that, in, in the, at least in the initial uh, push, is, is around things like uh, when, you go, when you drive up, you know, uh, uh, and you see the digital menu boards and the drive-throughs and things like that, they can localize the offers. They can localize the content. It's it's hot outside right now. Here's a cold drink special. You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know that uh, we've seen. Uh, you know, I would say not at scale, but we've seen. Uh, you know, in implementations. You know, on on big digital out of home uh, screens or things like that. But now they own a company, 
um, you know, that, that can do this and, and has done it effectively uh, for a number of years. Uh, so I think it's interesting to see McDonald's pushing heavy now into technology acquisitions. They bought another company this week, too. I forgot what it was called. Uh, starts with a P, like Plexor or Plexor or something, which is a mobile app company that they've been, that is the company who built their mobile app uh, everywhere outside of the U.S., I think, um, for like another 30 million bucks or something like that. So, so they're spending money on tech. Um, which we don't hear. Uh, we hear the the restaurant industry, you know, embracing tech and using tech, but we don't hear them buying tech companies very often like this. So this this is a big deal for me uh, to see how they're they're able to kind of uh, implement that and and start to roll that out. I, I wonder whether um, like the dynamic yield existing customer base besides McDonald's. Whether that they they hold this out as a as a separate company still and continue to service other clients, or they say no no you're all cut off and this is only for McDonald's now. I don't know. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting. And what I really like about this story is I feel like um, you know we've seen, for example, like Walmart as a retailer embracing technology through Walmart Labs. So they kind of have this separate company where they're like building tech and testing tech. And I feel like there's a really big opportunity in the restaurant industry as a whole. Um, especially quick service to test mm-hmm. out things. And if they have ownership of that, if they have a McDonald's labs or something like that, where they can kind of be doing that and implementing that, I think that's a great opportunity for them, um, not only to diversify revenue, but also to take advantage of like what works for them the quickest and be able to adopt and adapt really fast. Um, and then if it does work, then they can always sell it to the other <laughs> restaurants as well. You know, they can pick and choose who they want to sell to. So I think that that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I like that they're they are embracing technology not only from um, implementation standpoint, but also from an acquisition standpoint. So, cool. very cool. Staying on the food topic a little bit and uh, retail, um, Oreo and Target have teamed up um, with some other agency folks um, to work on this this campaign. And basically, what they did is they hosted. 300 house parties um, in the homes of their consumers. So they they had about 13,000 applicants to host these house parties, and each of the ones that won that of those 300, they sent a kit, and it had things like game pieces and um, props and obviously all the Oreo snacks that you can imagine, um, kind of promoting the new Oreo SKUs that are going to be available at Target. Um, so, you know, they encouraged, you know, families and friends to get together, kind of circle up, have Oreos at the forefront, play these games, um, share it socially, uh, use, you know, a specific hashtag that they wanted and, um, you know, just in- encourage, I guess, buying Oreos more frequently at your target, uh, as well as other things. Um, I mean... I'm not, I'm kind of like underwhelmed with this story. I, I get it, but at the same, and I, I love the idea of social sharing, promoting that. Um, but I feel kind of like they just like made a big fuss about really not a whole lot. Um, I don't know. Like, I like that they're trying to promote, um, you know, I'm a big proponent of like, again, the social sharing and doing something that's kind of like organic, but is free content for your brand. Um, so I really like that aspect of it, but in terms of like the house kit that you get, like here's some games. I mean, I could do that. I don't need Oreos to do that. I could do that without a kit, you know, all of those things. So like what made it unique? I'm not sure. I mean, I get that they were trying to do something. I just feel like there was maybe a missing element here, um, for me personally, but I do love that they're, they're trying new things. So, yeah. Um, 
I'm sort of with you on that, but here, here, here's my spin on it. I, I, I think that if I tie it back up to um, Private Acre or any of the peer-to-peer platforms we've talked about over the years, uh, for me, the, the, the opportunity here, and maybe it wasn't, you know, maybe there's more that could have been done, but the opportunity here is to leverage, you know, fans, advocates of the brand, uh, you know, in their homes, in their locations, and, and to find a way to engage them. Uh, you know, to 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 drive, uh, you know, ultimately more sales and more traffic. Um, so I think they they achieved that somewhat with the social sharing, right? What sixteen thousand social shares, thirty five hundred pieces of consumer generated content. You know, so some decent numbers, you know, coming out of this. But you know, for me, it's about um, you know. You've got you know a limited number of these these house parties going on, three hundred house parties going on, or whatever. Um, but the, for for me, the question then becomes: Okay, how do, like who are these people? Are these people who just you you know you put out the offer and thirteen thousand people applied? And, and you found them or are there actual like influencers or are these people who are actually all, were already Oreo fans, you know, as opposed to, oh, I'm going to sign up for this thing because I might get a free home kit and I get to like, you know, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Right. Like, like I, what I wonder is of the 13,000 applicants, how many of them were already existing followers, fans, consumers, uh, you know, buyers of the brand? Right. I think that for me, I would assume almost all of them. Right. I mean, that's what my assumption would be. You would hope. But 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 it could easily be. I don't know how you would actually do that. Like it could easily be, um, you know, we 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 promoted this thing out on Facebook or something and everybody just kind of send it around to all their friends and like, hey, apply for this and you can you can host a house party with Oreo and get some free Oreos. Like there's a lot of people who would do that. Right. I think. I mean, you know what? For me, some free Oreos and a fifty dollars gift card is not an incentive for me to host a bunch of people in my house to mess right. it up. Sorry, but there's people it's who just would not. Do that, right? But there's, there are. Yeah. There are people who would do that, and and that's and that's what I'm saying is, you know, I think if 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 this was because you are an Oreo fan, uh, and you've you know we know you've spent a lot of money with us over the years, and you're already an advocate of the brand. We are rewarding you with you know host a house party, you know, get closer to us in that way, you know, become even more connected at the hip to our brand kind of thing. Like if you spin it that way, right, I think that's different than, um, you know, hey, it's just an open application, you know, 13,000 people apply. I don't know. And I'm not, you know, I'm yeah. not saying it's one way or the other. But, but I mean, for me, I think that what they could have done to kind of create more of like a niche or make more of an impact with this is to have um, one of two things. One, um, like something competitive, right? Like how how do these 300 house parties now compete to be yeah. something, right? Like, yeah, they said that, oh, you could be featured on Target. Who cares? Like, I want, you know, you want like a prize or some money or an experience or a vacation or something fun like that, right? How do you make it into a competition that they, you know, who can build the most creative something out of Oreos or whatever it may be, right? Or or, or, or whoever whoever gets the most content or like whatever gets gets to come to an Oreo, uh, you know, house party hosted with like a celebrity guest or whatever, like you know. Yes, or I think the other opportunity would have been something like um, I mean, you you see these like really ridiculous things that go viral, right? Like 
planking or dabbing or like whatever it is that are just like silly things that people do. Why can't you come up with something silly that is like uh, related to an Oreo, right? Um, yeah. Like how do you dip your Oreo? How do you eat yeah. your Oreo? Remember What's when the they had the, thing the you... eclipse thing? Yes. That was yes. cool. That was cool. Yeah. Right? So. so I think that you have more opportunities to do more, but, um, you know, keep working on it. We just gave you like 10 ideas for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Check it out. All right. Uh, all right. Our final story. Um, so going from cookies uh, and milk to beer. Um, and so uh, Coors Light uh, has done something pretty cool, I think. Uh, they are, you know, the beer wars are on. They're competing with Bud. Um, and, uh, so it's the battle between Molson Coors and Anheuser-Busch and, uh, and, uh, this is really interesting. So what they've done here is, is in certain bars, uh, they started a campaign that was, um, started on March 22nd, Friday, March 22nd in certain bars in New York, Dallas, Philadelphia, Las Vegas, and Omaha. Um, I don't know how you get Omaha in there, but Omaha, <laughs> Omaha makes it in there. Anyhow, um, and so in, in certain bars, you know, you're at the bar, the TV's on, um, and what they've done is is when uh, they, they've designed their, their Coors Light taps uh, to basically listen to the broadcast that's going on in the bar, on the TVs, the t and when a, when a Bud Light TV commercial comes on, it picks up the audio from that. So Shazam-like technology, essentially. Um, and uh, so it detects that, and the, the taps light up. Uh, the tap handles, the Coors Light tap uh, handles light up. And it's a free round of beer for everybody, you know. So, so basically, it's like, hey, we don't want you paying attention to that Bud Light commercial uh, over there. We want you drinking Coors Light. So every time that Bud Light commercial comes on, free beer for, for everybody. I think it's cool. I think, I, I, you know, I, I think it's like, hey, you know, the battle is on, people, and uh, you know, we're we're going right after you, and um, and we're, you know, we're gonna take your commercial and we're gonna use it to hand out free beer. I like it. I like it too. You know what? I, this I feel like this is like uh, the the Burger King McDonald's geoconquesting yep. thing, like on crack. I mean, this is like they've steroided up, and they're like, okay, here we go. All you got to do is just hear the, you know, hear the Bud Light commercial or hear this influence and we're giving you free beer. Um, I mean, I think it's great. Who doesn't love free beer? I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> what's yeah. not to love? I think it's good. And, and I was thinking maybe depending on how long they're going to be running this campaign, maybe they chose Omaha because College World Series. I don't know. Draws a big oh, crowd. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That could, but that I like sense. That yeah, I want to hear, I want to like see more ideas of this, like, um, you know, uh, I, I can't call it geoconquesting because it doesn't really have to do with geo, but what would you call it? Like audio conquesting or yeah. something, you know, yeah. like it's really, really cool. Well, and there's probably a way, like, you know, I mean, over the years we've talked about, you know, Shazam in, in TV commercials, you know, like uh, Coca-Cola's done a lot of that, um, you know, over the years for Olympics and, and different things. Um, you know, there's several other platforms that have done that, that then store it in the thing and then pop up a geo-targeted notification, you know, for that brand when you're nearby where you can buy it. So there's probably ways that they can extend this into, you know, you're sitting in your living room. You know, watching you know the uh, you know the uh, the college uh, basketball, you know final four or whatever is going on, and um, and and you can kind of you know tag it and store it and then go redeem something. Um, I think that yep. would be interesting, right? So, um, that, would be cool. that would be cool. 
That would be cool. So uh, I like it. I think this is fantastic. Um, and but there's probably ways to take this even further. So there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Kudos. So that's our show for this week. <laughs> three industry news stories, three member news stories, and a great guest in Ian Dalamore from Lamar. Thanks for listening and watching. Uh, this has been episode number 409 of This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Of course, we will be back next week. Uh, and if you have not bought your ticket yet for Retail Loco, uh, it is April 24th and 25th in Seattle. A lot of great speakers coming. Uh, I'll give you a highlight of one that uh, I'm excited about that I just found out about. So uh, there's this local group uh, there called Samaritan City. Um, and what they've done is they've teamed up with Gimbal, who's one of our sponsors, and we're actually going to have the Samaritan City folks there sharing this case study. But what they've done is is uh, um, they've gone out and they've put, they've given beacons to homeless people, uh, and then they've uh, taken time to understand their story, their life story, how they got there, all of that. Uh, and then there's an app that goes with this, and as you walk by uh, these people. The beacon detects that and then uh, pushes a notification with the stories of these people. Uh, so you actually know what they're all about, that they're not just sitting there, you know, begging for money or whatever, but you know kind of the context, you understand the situation. And you can actually then make a donation directly through the app. It's all integrated. It's it's phenomenal use case of, of location technology and all of that in a really cool way. And we're like, so we'll be having that story shared at Retail Loco. So check it out, retaillo.co, retaillo.co. Um, uh, come to Seattle and come come give Aubriana a hug, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and and hear about really cool ways like that to uh, to use location data. So it's gonna be great. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, thanks everyone. We'll see you. Have a great week. See you soon. Bye. Bye.